Hey everybody, welcome back to episode four of the Church Tech and Leadership Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today, where our goal is to help you create quality experiences that help people engage with Jesus. Uh, If you would, just go ahead and share this if it helps you, and leave us a rating and review. That kind of helps us out. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Esslinger, and I am again joined today by uh, my good friends, Ian Springer and Will Scott. All right, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Good? Good? Cool. Uh, Yeah, so today we're talking about... um, streaming and uh, some different options and strategies for ways to do that uh, as far as uh, audio mixes go, video mixes, uh, for those that have multiple cameras and all those kind of things. So uh, first we're going to kind of start start out talking about um, what the purposes of each is uh, as far as your, your in-the-room experience and your online experience. So um, what do you guys think about uh, in the room? What should be our goal in, in that space? Well, I, I think what you're looking to try and accomplish in the room is take the people that are already there in the room with you and immerse them further in your experience. One, one thing that's a challenge, especially if you're in a room like, like a gym or something that's, that's very deep, a lot of times you're going to have a, you know, a significant portion of your people that can't really see the facial expressions of of the people that are on stage. So you would use something like IMAG, which stands for image magnification, which is basically taking and pointing a camera at the stage and popping it up on a screen like they do at concerts and stuff to be able to let folks that are farther back in the room to still get that up close engagement with with the people that are on stage, whether that's a worship leader or a pastor who's preaching or or something like that. And that's usually going to be a closer up shot, right? You're not going to have like this really big shot of your whole room, right? That's you. You want to use a a tight shot like that to be able to convey as much emotion from from the guy, the the guy or girl that's on stage that uh, you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think emotion or conveying emotion is a great direction uh, to, or just like a, even a, just a word to try and keep in your mind, even uh, as you're, as uh, teams are like planning the music and trying to, you know, talk about what the, even the whole weekend experience is like, like what emotion are we, are we trying to uh, experience in the room and in the space for the people? And um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like capturing that on with type shots and even with audio, the same thing. So you can you can do lots of things with like reverb and things like that, and how intimate something feels in different parts of the song that aligns with what the video is doing, and obviously aligns with what the the, the worship leader or the musician is doing. That just totally supports that emotion. That's like, hey, as a team, this is this is what this is what what we want to feel, and this is this is what we're we're going to experience in the moment. And this is what we want people to experience in the moment. And all of those things, when all of them line up, it's, it's a pretty cool experience. And I think the beauty of the in the room experience is that you can have uh, more control over the environment. Yeah. And as a result, you can create more of an immersive style experience for folks. It's not just, um, it's not just viewing it through a screen. It's all around them. Yeah. And, and there's more, uh, usually audio fidelity and control over 
how light or dark or what you see in yeah. that space, and it's a it's an it's an immersive experience. Yeah, same with things like thing. you like haze and like lighting as well. Like you you talked about that. It's it's it is exactly that. It's immersive. It is you're taking people like out of whatever they're you know they're bringing in on the weekend, and we are putting them in a fully immersive experience. You could even have candles and make it smell nice. It's smell a vision or something, right? Yeah, you, you kind of have to be in the room. I, I don't, I've not seen yeah. a satellite smelling. <laughs> right, yeah, me either. That could probably be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so what about online? Um, what are what are some good goals to have for, uh, for an online experience? Uh, from an audio perspective, I think uh, having everything balanced and at the same volume level. Uh, I know one of the challenges, especially with the COVID and everybody's, you know, creating these online experiences, the music is so much louder than the, uh, than the teaching or the hosting or any of those moments. And with, with an online experience, you don't want people constantly reaching for the volume knob because the, you know, levels are off and, and that's super distracting and, and frustrating. And even then, like if you have distortion or, there's so many things that uh, that need to be paid attention to for an online experience. That um, really, again, immersive experience is good, and you can you can have all those nice things like reverb and delays and or or to create different emotions. But if it doesn't sound good, people aren't going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think the something you don't have online that you do in the room is is the fact that it's happening around you. So all of a sudden, you have to convey all of the things that are happening in the room mm-hmm. through a small screen. I mean, most people are watching on a mobile device of some kind, yeah. laptop at best. So, um, yeah, you, you have to capture more and portray that energy through a screen, through iPhone speakers or AirPods or, oh, yeah. or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, yeah and, and like, you know, looking at it from a, a video perspective, when you're, do, when you're doing iMag, you know, like I said, the, the purpose is to bring what's happening on the stage closer to the people that are in the room. Um, you don't when when you're trying to uh, create something for someone who's not physically with you. You want to you a lot of times want to incorporate more wide shots or what uh, what we call establishing shots um, to be able to give some context to people that are that aren't physically in the room of what the experience in the room is like, um, not just the experience that's happening on stage. Yeah. You don't necessarily need that for the folks in the room because they're already there. Hmm. So um, it it gets a, a, a lot of places um, choose to have a separate, uh, a separate feed, at least on the video side, for um, what they're sending out to their live stream and what they're uh, sending to their screens locally or in some cases you don't even worry about what's happening locally you don't you don't have a room where you need iMag so all you're focused on is is what you're sending to the internet yeah and, and I think there's some there's, there really are some nice positives and and some negatives too with with both ways of viewing I mean as far as online goes you as the creator really have control over what people are focused on. It's whatever the camera's pointed on. And that's that's the only thing they have to look at. As to where in the room, you really have to be intentional about where you want people's focus to be and helping them to focus. But when it comes to the audio side of things, in the room, you can get away with a lot of things that when it translates to an online mix and people have control over their own volume knob and it's really clean and you don't have all that 
natural room reverberation, um, you can't, you can't hide. hide. You can't hide. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't hide. Um, so yeah, so so let's talk about um, just a handful of common ways that we see people uh, kind of do both a broadcast mix for audio and uh, maybe if they have multiple cameras or just even single camera uh, ways that they're going to go about doing this. So on the audio side, um, you have an, you know the option of a straight main stereo left right mix off the console and you can send that straight online um you know and and with that if if your room's great if your pa is great it'll sound pretty good it might yeah it might be okay if uh but that's if your pretty PA rare. Is messed up and you're you're mixing for the problems with your pa or your room online might sound a little funny yeah. uh another option would be to do a uh pre-fade aux mix so that would be um basically pulling the audio feed before it gets to the console's fader and doing a separate, basically balance of all the channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can be uh, some real positives there, but again, it, it's the same, almost the same issue as the left-right mix where you're not processing uh, audio separately for that. It's still, the only thing that changes is the volume level of each instrument. Other than that, it's still all processed, EQ'd, compression, all those things are done the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, another option would be doing the post-fade uh, aux mix where you kind of set different things at different levels, but still what you set your main faders to for your main room does have an effect on that feed. And it's kind of a nice hybrid way of doing things. Um, I've often found that you can get a really great result doing this when you also add in um, some room mics to be able to capture what's happening in the space um, and really just give it a nice live feel. Uh, and kind of the last way that people do things is is having a truly separate broadcast mix. Um, and that, that it does give you the absolute most control um, over the mix. Uh, however, mixing for uh, front of house and mixing for broadcast are two very different animals, um, uh, especially given that there are acoustic instruments in the room when you're in the room with them and you don't have the benefit of the acoustic sound of that instrument uh, propagating on its own. It's only what gets through the microphones. It's also a challenge too because w- when you're watching something on your TV or on your phone, you're accustomed to this like really highly compressed but still high fidelity sound that you get from listening to music that's been recorded in a studio or watching um, like a live music show like the CMA Awards. Um, some of that some of that stuff isn't even always mixed live. They're just singing and playing along to a track that was recorded in a studio. So that's it's it's a, a bit of a struggle to um, not only say, okay, I've got to get a good mix, but I also have to get the uh, the digital loudness of it as as high as I can without running into any any distortion. Um, and it, it and it's a struggle because you know I don't uh, it's the guys who who do this in studios spend millions and millions of dollars on having just amazing rigs to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. The challenge for us as church tech directors is to look at that and say, with with what I've got, uh, with the gear that I have, how much can I do? Yeah. How close to that can I get? Yeah. 
No, it's real. Um, it's it's interesting just uh, talking about the broadcast mix and all these different options, and each one has pros and cons that uh, you know really have to be weighed and and balanced uh, based on budget and personnel and you know experience and capability. Um, and you know, it's uh, I was thinking about uh, that somebody posted for the NBA uh, championship game. They had they had brought in like a PA system and pointed it at the players and like had canned audience noise or something like that to try and kind of create a, an experience that was really good for the players. And, uh, and I mean, obviously that was because of COVID and, and things like that because they couldn't have a stadium full of people. But um, now kind of looking at the reverse of that, having an experience that allows people to engage, um, so like room mics, so, you know, being able to hear the crowd singing really is an important element that allows people to connect with the moment and, uh, and and balance those things. But at the same time, money and gear isn't always the best option. Um, and like, hey, let's let's create a broadcast mix or let's let's dedicate a, a, a console just for broadcast mixing. And it's, um, that's that's a really very it's very different job, too, from mixing front of house. As Chris mentioned earlier, it's just um, it's it, it takes a lot of experience and training. And um, that's it's may not be the best route to go. And again, it's, there's, there's a large cost to that. So it might be worth pursuing, um, balancing. And that's another thing like uh, mixing in room mics, all that stuff has to be time aligned so that you're not having weird phase issues and get cancel it, cancel, cancel, <laughs> I can't talk, cancel it, cancellation, uh, in the mix that, uh, you know, cause stuff is just kind of phasing with itself. So it's, it is worth, looking into maybe doing, especially if you have a good PA system that's balanced and a good um, like front of house mix, trying to balance that with room mics and, uh, and, and kind of mixing it in independently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the video side, um, you know, there's, there's options uh, as far as how you um, process what's going out there as well, whether it's, um, you know, a single camera, uh, which is pretty straightforward. Um, but you can choose to just set that as kind of a wide shot in the back of the room. You can choose to actively move it uh, in and out um, or, or left to right as needed. Um, but then you get into multiple camera situations. And um, as Ian mentioned previously, the the iMag feed or image magnification feed uh really is designed so that you can better see uh, the face of the person speaking um, as to where, you know, when you're watching the whole service through a screen, you really want to be able to see some other shots, which kind of leads people to, uh, to this idea of, well, do I need to have a separate feed for my iMag screens in the room versus what I have online? Um, and so uh, there's a couple different ways to do that. Um, you know, there is always the option of we're just going to uh, kind of shoot a hybrid model of shoot the screen sh or shoot for iMag, but also mix in some other shots. And that's just what's going to go everywhere. Um, there's there's other options where you can have your iMag feed feed into another switcher that has some more cameras on it um, and be able to cut between your iMag program feed and other cameras. And then there's uh, finally the option of having uh, 
all of your inputs come into two totally separate devices, um, which is great as far as technical options go, but when it comes right down to it, there's communication that has to happen between whoever's calling video and the camera operators. Um, and it can be a little confusing if you've got two different people calling for totally different things um, of the camera operators. This is, yeah, this is where uh, it's, it's more of a people problem than it is uh, an equipment problem. Because switchers are pretty cheap now. It's, it's, um, it's easy to go out and come up with the gear to make any of the scenarios that you described work, assuming that your organization has the money to be able to afford it. Um, what a large driver behind this decision is, you know, how, how, what, what's the size and, and skill level of your team? Um, if you have some guys that uh, are skilled video directors or, or want to become skilled video directors or skilled camera operators, I, I've, I've worked with a church before that had guys that were professional camera operators that served on, on the team and were very, very good. And so if, if that's the makeup of your team, then it might be worth investing in having a multiple ME switcher and multiple control surfaces and and you know having work working to build up your your team of directors to know how do we how do we have multiple people creating essentially telling two separate stories for these two separate audiences that we have both in the room and online but still be able to do that and work together with, uh, as part of the same team um, if if that's not what your organization looks like. If you've got maybe one guy who's who's able to direct and a handful of camera operators, then that's it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to take full advantage of all of that additional equipment yeah. that you've got. So, you know, that's that's where look at where, where your team is and try and, and invest into your people as much as you can. If you get to a point where you guys are like, hey you know, let's take it to the next level. Let's we're we're ready to to try and add in another switcher. Then maybe go back to your leadership and say, hey, we want to be able to really step up the video experience online to the next level. Our guys are ready to do it. Now let's look at buying that gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And there's there's even hybrids that you can do with uh, with a lot of modern day switchers. That it's like if you can't quite afford, uh, you know, buying two switchers, you could. Um, you you could send basically the same feed to your broadcast mix, and then uh, but it would like have it on an aux or something, and then during your live experience, so your program feeds going to your screens, your aux is going to your broadcast feed, and then you know maybe you switch that aux to some wider shots during the teaching or something like that, or um, just trying to put people in that same experience to. And you can use those other camera operators uh, a little, you know, a little differently. But I think you're absolutely right. Just the, having the communication is so important. Even you know, even if you're not doing broadcast mix uh, for video, you still need to be able to communicate with your team and and curate shots. And it doesn't. A lot of people um, look at at comp packages and they get intimidated by the price. Yeah. And and it's. I mean, nuclear comp stuff is expensive. It's it's uh, for 
a, a system that'll handle a handful of camera operators and a director, it's multiple thousands of dollars for new stuff. Yeah. Um, there and, and and there's a lot of manufacturers that make some stuff that's lower cost. Um, one thing that I don't think a lot of people tap into is the used market. Um, a lot com stuff, um, at, at least in terms of the traditional analog com, that your most organizations uh, our size are going to be using uh, hasn't changed much in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and most of the stuff is built pretty rugged. And so, you know, there's a lot to be said for going out and finding some used gear from an audio rental company um, that's look that's upgrading their inventory and just looking to liquidate their gear. You can buy com belt packs that are 5 or 10 or 15 years old that still work just as good as the new stuff, but it's going to cost you 10 or 20% of the price. Yeah, and, and there's also something to be said for hunting for creative solutions. At the end of the day, um, while it may not be the most ideal thing, you can have one-way intercom, um, which is a lot easier to set up using things that may already be lying around your building um, to where the whoever's calling the cameras can just communicate out to them. Uh, but the camera operators may not be able to talk back. Uh, I know I, I've got... They can talk uh, back with the camera, shake it, you know, up and down. Yeah, yeah exactly, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. There's a uh, there's a husband and wife couple that that serve on a team I, I work with, and uh, she she was directing one time, and she's like, "I like it. He can't talk back to me." <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you can spend however much money you want on on these systems, but it comes back to what the team is you have available to run them. Um, mixing live versus mixing a recorded or a broadcast mix are very different things and they're very different skill sets Um, even even at the most pro levels of the industry you have people that delineate between being a live sound engineer and being a a studio sound engineer they're not the same thing and, and it's not the same knowledge set and skill set there's some overlap there's yeah. a few things that are similar um, but but it's they are very different animals. And so just assuming that you can take, hey, we've got four four guys on the rotation for our live sound team. Let's just throw one of those in the broadcast suite. Um, I hate to say it, but you're likely to be disappointed um, when the mix doesn't sound you know, like your favorite album. Yeah. Because those guys don't have that knowledge or skill set. I think in that case, you're a lot better off trying to figure out a way to capture the good things they're doing in the room and broadcast that out. Yeah. I think one of the the most important things is experience your environment. So if you're if you're doing a broadcast mix, go sit in another room and just listen to it and watch it online in another room. And like if or if you you know if you're posting it and you can, you know, watch it later or something like that, you can experience it just because you don't know if you're if you're uh, kind of well, it's, it's like if you're a front of house engineer going and sitting in the seats. You know, you don't know how your room's going to sound or how, you, you know, if your PA is doing, because PA changes over time. You have to retune it every so often. It's just like any mechanical things like tuning, you know, changing the brakes on your car or changing its oil. So uh, go and experience the environment that you want, uh, what, that you're broadcasting to. So... Go go listen to it on your phone. Go listen to it on your your pods. Like uh, I, Chris, I think you mentioned that already. And it's 
um, that way you can make adjustments accordingly. Because if you're just sending it out there onto the, the, the black hole that is the internet, then um, uh, if it's not a good product or you don't know what it is, then people may not be interested. And feel free to be creatively inspired by what other people are doing. Oh, too. Yeah. Don't, it's, it, you're doing yourself a disservice, I think, if you only watch your own live stream. And and all and you're all you're doing is looking at a, at uh, what you're putting out there. If you go out and look at what other organizations in your area or nationally that are really being effective with um, their digital ministry, um, you might be inspired by some ways that some some new techniques you can incorporate or or new ways that you can um, enhance what you're trying to do. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of times you can even reach out to those guys and most of them will will respond and say, yeah, I'll, I'll share a little bit about what we're doing. Um, you might find a few people that are, are wanting to keep it secretive because they think they have some secret sauce. But I think at the end of the day, uh, really the best of the best want to share what they're doing. Because um, even if you have all their secrets, it's not like you're going to, you, you're not them. You're not you don't them. have their ear. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't have their eye for video. Whatever it is, they're they're more than happy to share. It's not a competition, and that that goes back to like investing in the kingdom. You know, if you're doing, if you spend a lot of time developing your your stream and your live experience, and people are asking you questions, wow, that's really cool. How how did you guys do that? Or you know, what are how did you you get from where you were to now where you are today? It's like don't hold it back, share it, because it's not you have no idea who who could you know who could come to Jesus because of. Uh, what somebody learns from your organization. It's don't think about it as competition. Think about it as kingdom. We're all we're all just creating different ways for people to connect with Christ. That's and that's that's what we're about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love how Will just kind of brought that all together there at the end for us and and kind of recentered us. Hey, if this has uh, impacted you, remember to share, uh, leave a like. Uh, give us a rating or review and that helps it uh, impact more people. Um, you can always find more on the website. There are show notes. Um, you can also check out the blog. And as always, we have our consulting services for if you want to uh, go deeper uh, in your specific context. So uh, if you have a topic request or question, click the I have a question button on the top of the podcast page. And that will do it for this week, y'all. Thanks.